I, I mean, look, you can you can choose not to believe that mm-hmm. if you want. You can't. Mm-hmm. I, I can't make you. I choose to believe it because I choose to believe in like I don't know the the possibility of like a a people's a true people's revolution. Uh. But I, I, I'm so fucking tired of the ability of like media and and now it's it's not even it's being done for free mm-hmm. by people we know mm-hmm. who are good people yeah. trying to do right who are sharing information that is not correct <laughs> and and there's there's obviously more to it but it's like this is all this stuff is just so complicated that stop i, I mean here's my here's my plea to our listeners because we know you are all good, well-meaning people, moral people, if I will. Stop sharing political stuff on social media. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Just fucking stop it. There's n- no good comes of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't affect any change. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Cuba, you're you're hurting people. You're hurting the people who are investing in something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. I think that's a good. I think that's a good, a call to action or a call to inaction in this case. You know, like, hey, the, be aware. And and continue to spread awareness. What is what if it's in conversation, things like that. Or yeah, I mean, here's the deal with if you're an American, which most of our <laughs> listeners Shut are. Shut the fuck up for a second. <laughs> no, but but. Then, then if you if you feel the need, and still next week feel the need to be talking about Cuba, even though the you know um, pro government protests and um, you know street demonstrations outnumber the anti government ones, I don't know, a hundred to one. Mm-hmm. Um, just a constant role of awareness about the absolute carnage that the u.s embargo has wrought on the cuban people yeah do that do that i mean if you if you just seriously want to help the cuban people and you're an american the only thing that you can affect is the your country's yeah relationship with the cuban people yeah because are, are you telling me right now that you want regime change that's what you want you don't i know you don't i know that I know that you'd rather see, because you're a good person, Mm -hmm. strong moral person, you'd rather see these people brought out of suffering. And I'm telling you right now, the best way to do it is end the U.S. embargo. Boom. I love Virgil was hyping up Nicholas while yawning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't. (laughs) Oh, man. Yes. And next, you can tell the French government, if you are any of our French listeners, <laughs> please tell the French government to um, Lay relinquish the fuck any off. <laughs> of Haiti. Please Lay relinquish off. Haiti of any of its debts. Oh Seriously. my fucking God. Seriously. Oh my gosh. Maybe your boy, Napoleon, should have uh, raised the price of the Louisiana Purchase a little bit. That's on you. That's on you. 
Maybe he should have been nicer to the Polish. Yeah. Maybe he should have been nicer to the Polish who ended up, you know, turning on him. Polish Haitians. My favorite. If the if the French weren't yeah, if the French weren't so fucking mean to everybody, <laughs> maybe people would want to have more diplomatic relations with them. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right. Ah, oh, he's right. I'm getting off I'm getting off the I'm getting off the soapbox. Alright, let's do one big ha huh for the transition into the song. Three, two, one. (sighs) (sighs) Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the only podcast on the internet where we try and uncover the truth of the universe one wikipedia article at a time sure enough i am joined as always by my co-host and star of interactive theater <laughs> alex virgil hey thanks thanks and uh joining me today as always is the funky cool cat john Miklas himself Ooh, that's a hip guy also, Ooh, also check out Brassroots District playing two more weekends. We'll plug it later. We'll plug it later. Uh, and as always, mm. our friend at the NSA yes. and also producer of this show, yep. the lovely Emmy Sack. Hey, yo. <laughs> Emmy is saying it is Monday. It is Monday. Just like Garfield, Emmy hates Mondays. Oh, Mondays. Um, Emmy, did you get a haircut? Uh, I chopped it off myself. <laughs> I just hey, legit took some great. scissors. Good and... for you. Yeah. Hell yeah. Wow. Very <laughs> impressive. It feels shorter than ever before. Am I just it feels lying? good. No, I, just... yeah, this is shorter than it usually is, but it's good for summer. Yeah. It's nice. It's hot. It's muggy. Nice. Hell yeah. Look at this yeah, generally cishet presenting guy noticing haircuts over here. <laughs> Yeah. Very impressive. Congratulate Very me. Impressive. It's about me. Uh, yeah, listener, I will give nice. you. Well, I'll give you all some context. It is Monday night. Uh, yep. We are all in Southern California. Uh, yep. From the looks of it, I believe none of us have air conditioning. Nope. Uh, or at least not on. Uh, we're a little bit glistening. Yep. Uh, and um, and yeah, we're doing it. Uh, it's great. It's. Uh, it's a lovely, warm summer night. Yeah. If you if you hear a low droning throughout the episode, excuse us. Those We're are just our trying fans, not to yeah. pass out in the middle of our <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um how are we doing, guys? It's been a while. It feels it's like been it's a been sec. forever. I missed you too. Mm-hmm. Um I, I'm I mean, I'm good, man. I'm like physically exhausted, emotionally fulfilled. You know. Yeah, Virg, you can let's plug it now. Uh, what are you What are you working on right now? Um, I've briefly mentioned this before, and it's gonna it's gonna play heavily into my topic because it's the only thing I've been thinking about. But uh, I am in a <laughs> <laughs> in an immersive funk show. Uh, there's it's on a lot downtown LA. If you're familiar, it faces the Resident, so very cool spot. Um, and uh, there's a full funk concert, nine-piece funk band. They're amazing. The fact that I get to listen to them, 
not just for free, but to get paid to listen to them every weekend. Like, the bassist went on tour with Beyonce. Like, Hell yeah. they're, they're all, like, super legit. And um, it's such a good time. So, yeah, you know, Brass Roots District. Just Google that, and if you can't figure it out, then that's on you at that point. But <laughs> hope you come, though. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, that is awesome. That's very cool. We're happy for you. Oh, yeah, and the whole thing is that it, it's set in 1973. So the moment you walk in, it's like 1973. Freebird hasn't come out yet. No one on the lot yeah. involved with the production has ever heard Freebird. It's like that's like uh, I feel like that's a thing at like Disneyland, right? You can't like you try and break the characters, and they're like, I don't know. I, I, Is that that's like a that's like a, a sign? It's like what about Freebird? So there's all the, the when I when I was a kid, I went to Colonial Williamsburg with my family, and there was some Ben Franklin looking like leather maker or some shit. And he's just like telling us about these times, and and then he was like, "Young man, where are you from?" And I was like, "I'm not gonna say Tokyo because I know that's annoying." I say Seattle, and he goes, "Seattle? Huh? Is that a new territory?" Blah blah blah. And as a kid, I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah." And then that was later, just like a straight up bit in like a Family Guy episode, I think, where people are just like, "Fuck!" Oh no, South Park. They go to like a a western thing but then there's a whole hostage situation and people are literally oh, getting like killed um but the, but the people <laughs> working there never break character <laughs> and every show i just feel like that guy where they'd be like oh did they have like bix back then is that cool and i was like a, a bic uh, i mean i've got my zippo and some matches over here you know like <laughs> i just feel so stupid that's awesome people will bring in like because it's on the lot so like and it's Southern California. People will be like smoking some weed, you know, whatever. And people will be hitting their vape. And I have to be like, wow, that's some kind of, and I can't say lightsaber because Star Wars hasn't come out yet. So I have to be like, what is that? Some kind of future pen? <laughs> what is that? A phaser? Uh, I love it. What, what is that from a Fritz Lang film? <laughs> That Robert Altman. I hope he makes a movie about Nashville that's very good in the future. <laughs> but in the meantime, MASH, wow. I just watched a Robert Altman movie. Oh, yeah? Which um, one? Um, really? California Split. Oh, nice. A classic. classic. That's a Robert I think Altman I texted movie. you about it. I think I texted you about it because Elliot Gould. Oh, fuck. No. Is it Elliot? It's Elliot Gould and... Yeah, and um, I want to say like Robert Redford. No, 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 it's, um, is Elliot Gould the one from, uh, The Long Goodbye? Yeah, Elliot Gould is in, like, most, like, a, a bunch of the early yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, Elliot Gould in that movie, I'm never more convinced, would be, like, our best friend. Oh, that's uh, how I feel about him in every movie. He's literally, like, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have requested from the art department for my area's set decoration, like, three Robert Altman Elliot Gould posters. I haven't if, gotten the green light ever, on any of them. Listener, if you're ever wondering what kind of guys we are, like what kind of straight guys we are, <laughs> uh, Verge and I are straight guys who like 
are like both like idolized and are kind of attracted to Elliot, Elliot Gould. Gould is Sevies. like to me the sexiest. That's like the most sexy guy on on her. I life. think in yeah. the in the late sixties, early seventies, there were two like who's hotter questions. One is Ginger and Marianne from Gilligan's Island, and then yeah. the other one is Donald Sutherland or Elliot Gould oh, in Mash. Yeah. And most people say Donald Sutherland, but I'm a diehard Elliot Gould guy, <laughs> firm to, to the end. Long goodbye, because the, there's a scene oh my in God, the long yeah. goodbye. He, like, lives next to these, like, hippie ladies who just do yoga naked, like, topless or whatever. Yeah. And, like, the second time he sees him, his reaction is just, like, like, do, like, do you have to do this out here? You know? <laughs> it's mostly just, like, all right, like, hi, ladies. Okay, like, bye. And to me, I'm like, oh, yes, that's exactly God, it's so sexy. I'm sorry. Sexy I, and I just wants to feed his cat yeah. the right food. That's all he wants is to feed his cat. You, you, you got a girl. I got a cat. Yeah. You got a girl. I got a cat. You know. Um, Long Goodbye is the first movie yeah. I watched when, when I came to LA. Orientation. Uh, I had a mentor classic. who took me out to like, one of those super old, theaters, and it was, and we watched The Long Goodbye, and I was like, one. This is already just like my new favorite movie, and two, like, oh, I, I did it! I, I got out. <laughs> I'm here, and I, I'm in now. I'm out, and I'm in. Yeah, that's awesome. Fucking Elliot Gould. Um, do we have any? Do we have any unfinished business? Probably. What did we talk about ten years ago? Oof. All right. So the last time we talked about dicks and docks. Oh, so we talked about dicks circumcision. And docks. And we talked about um, Doc Doc, uh, Doc, Doc Ellis. Ellis. Yeah. But I do feel like, well, I think it might have even been the last episode we talked, or no, maybe two episodes ago, we talked about Polish Haitians. Yeah. You got some stuff on that? Because I'm I down. F- well, I feel like we would be remiss to not talk briefly yeah, yeah. about what happened in Haiti two weeks ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. or la- last week. Um did you guys did I did you guys follow it very closely? Not like, closely. You know what happened? Not closely. I so all right. Yeah, I've been it out the game for a sec. Crazy, and it's still developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't know exactly what happened, but essentially, um, there uh, there was a president, the most recent president of Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be. I, I'm gonna look at. Up some information because uh, I want to at least say his name. Um, all right, so yeah, this guy J- Jovenel uh, Moise, um, he was president of Haiti since 2017, mm-hmm. uh, and he he's kind of a classic, like neoliberal like he's an he was an entrepreneur mm-hmm. uh business haitian businessman um took over as president um and then in 2019 uh he um extended his presidency past the constitutional mm-hmm. limit mm-hmm. uh which is unfortunately not uncommon in haiti uh, mm-hmm. if, if you go back if you want to do something really depressive on Wikipedia, depressing on Wikipedia, just 
keep going back on the uh, six like successor uh, button on Haitian presidents, and there's some some re- pretty pretty rough stuff that's mm-hmm. happened in that country. But um, he so since 2019, there's been political protests in Haiti, uh, calling for his reg- resignation. Um, he never did, and then all of a sudden, uh, how long ago? Yeah, 12 days ago. We're recording this on the 19th, on the 7th, woke up and there was news that he had been, like, someone had, people had broken into his bedroom in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. shot him and his wife. Mm-hmm. His wife survived. He was assassinated. He died. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it gets super weird. And I read a New York Times article about it. And, uh, you know, more information kind of spreading around. Essentially, there was a group of Colombian military veterans Mm -hmm. so like guys in their 40s who had had um aged out of the military in colombia who were like one guy got a text message from a random number from the united states uh and said that they wanted to hire them or hire him and they wanted him to put together a crew of um you know like military veterans to work as hired guns Mm -hmm. for some clandestine mission Mm -hmm. in in latin america Mm -hmm. so he did this Mm -hmm. and it's essentially all of these guys in their 40s who can't find jobs in colombia you know ptsd have been fighting farc and you know colombian rebel groups their entire lives but now aren't getting paid by the military so they it's like American money. Mm-hmm. They never met the person who was bankrolling them. Uh-huh. And then they set them up at an Airbnb in, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Mm-hmm. These guys claim that they thought that they were supposed to be like the security detail for the president. Uh-huh. They're now under arrest for assassinating the president. Mm-hmm. They claim they did not kill him. And he and there, but there, like a couple of them were like they. So they were captured in their Airbnb. Yeah. The guy that organized it all, the one that the New York Times article was about, he was killed in a firefight with of the course. police that came to to um, yep. you know, to arrest them for the assassination. That's a loose of the end. President. Yeah, yeah, and so and so now it's just like super weird gray area. There's some speculation that potentially the president's staff killed him. Yeah, and they yeah, used yeah. these Colombian guys to set them Those up. Patsies. But then there's, but then there's also this belief that this Colombian group is a part of a like kind of like international, mm-hmm. you know, king making scheme, and they did actually assassinate the president. It's got some. You remember that that group of american like military vets that went to venezuela trying mm-hmm. to start a coup like what was it a year and a half two years ago it reminds me of that yeah. a little bit like a little bit of keystone cops this like, is kind of ridiculous that's what it is okay so here's that's what it is to for me this all makes sense because this is what it takes for whoever's responsible aka like you know probably people you right. know that uh yeah work for us so to speak um yeah that's the only way for them to stay one step ahead of the general public's understanding that this sort of assassination can happen now. 
Like right. back in the 70s and the 80s and all that when like there was a lot of turmoil, people weren't people here weren't familiar with the vocabulary of how these things go down. Right. And so now they have to make and this is, you know, me talking out of my ass, but also like this is my guess is that now like this is the amount of convoluted narrative that needs to exist so that no one knows what what's real and what's not. And that's the only way to stay ahead of like yeah. People figuring it out. I mean, I think I think that there's always been a certain level of ridiculousness to like the clandestine operations of you know global power structures. Mm-hmm. Like for example, uh, um, George H. W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Like George H. W. Bush almost assuredly was not this like nice good-hearted oafish like simple man that he came off right right frat boy but his by his biography or george hw bush like oh i'm sorry dad yeah yeah dad he was the head of the cia Mm -hmm. i mean there's like some pretty good um speculation that he was somehow a part of the Kennedy assassination. Um, Like, you know, he was in Texas that day Mm -hmm. working for the CIA and on interview can't remember where he was the day that Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah, the only American that was alive at the time that didn't remember. My fucking parents. Everybody. Literally, it's the one thing... Mm -hmm. Until the Challenger explosion in 9-11 that mm-hmm. every single person in America knew where they were the day Kennedy was assassinated. Like uh, There are so, many I mean, newspapers from say, the next day that are still in people's basements <laughs> across yeah, the nation. I mean, yeah. that is to say that is to, that is to say that like things are only getting dumber because they're harder to pull off mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think that we've always had to deal with these like dumb fucking Yale grads who think that they get to run the world and they have no idea what the world is doing and they just cause chaos. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet now like social media and smart technology and all of that has just make it made it harder to do it. And so instead we just have this like just lunacy drenched, reality where people believe there's a pedophile ring underneath a pizza mm-hmm. place in washington dc and mm-hmm. blah, blah blah you know what i mean like it's why there aren't as many good serial killers as they were in the 70s because tracking is just <laughs> too good you know that's a good thing yeah that's a good that's I a mean, good this thing. Is all, that's a good thing um man, I miss those i'm days. just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The man those are some, <laughs> the, the wild west man <laughs> yeah Hitchhiking. Guy could just talk to his dog, think he's God, kill some kids, you know. Yeah. Uh. No, I mean, I don't know. I think, who knows? We might never even get the truth out of what happened. And honestly, with a story like this, so much shit happens in Haiti Mm -hmm. that it might just be lost, right? But like... It's a story that deserves to, we should know. I would love to know the truth. Like I hope to know the I'll truth. I'll say this to the to the folks who um 
are probably more within the demographic of our listeners and uh, generally the more white population of this country. There's a reason why there's like a trope of older uh, members of the black community responding to everything with like, I don't know about that. Because they they know the smartest thing to not to do is not hold on to any conclusions and just constant skepticism about everything because they are well versed in in that convoluted narrative, you know, spin shit that fucks them over. And it's just it's just realistic. Like, Mm -hmm. look, at the end of the day, I don't know what happens to people in my like immediate orbit you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it it, it, the idea that you could somehow know matter of factly the situation in cuba or haiti or or even wendy's on the other side of the country dude or even (laughs) in the apartment next door to me you don't know shit about shit even in your own head man this is god damn it when we make a t-shirt when we make a t-shirt for the hegelian friendship simulator yes. i want on the back to say you don't know shit about shit i yeah, want that to yeah. be the the line on the back because it's true we don't know anything about anything and yeah. i just wish people would including myself like <laughs> fucking realize that yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah i think i'm like getting to a place where uh i am healthily making that a like a muscle memory thing where just like any strong opinion about one thing or another you know and 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 like even in my show there there are like folks who are very outspoken about you know all white men kind of thing and it's like yo i'm not gonna say not all men but also you know just the words we're using i don't know if i can agree with you know i don't know i don't know yeah yeah Yeah. and so it's I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just like, you both simultaneously need to make a stand for what you believe Mm -hmm. in and understand that those stands are worth revaluing and redeveloping constantly. Subject to change. There needs to be more humility in opinions and like understanding where you sit in the greater scheme. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's just unfortunate because the, the, the thing that we're taught in this country the most is that's not the case. It's like, this; these are the facts. Stick to these facts and you'll be fine. Right. Yeah? Just if you stray away, that's on you. But if you stick to this... But, I mean, and let's end this section with that Thomas Sankara quote because oh. it fucking rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to read it? Um, you got yeah, it? Yeah, I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up. Yeah. Basically, I, to finish our, our unfinished business with someone who is an all-timer Hegelian friendship simulator. Oh, the, chairman of the board. Maybe. Maybe chairman of the board. Yeah. yeah Thomas Ankara, president of Burkina Faso. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the quote. Okay. Here's a quote. Thomas Sankara, uh, 15 October. He was assassinated 15 October 1987 by uh, his bandmate. Um, you cannot carry out fundamental change without a certain amount of madness. In this case, it comes from nonconformity. The courage to turn your back on the old formulas. The courage to invent the future. 
It took the madmen of yesterday for us to be able to act with extreme clarity today. I want to be one of those madmen. We must dare to invent the future. Write your own destiny, so to speak. Yeah, and and understand that, like, man, you can be wrong, uh-huh. but like the the uh, the staticity of of the you know the current moment is just as bad as whatever we could invent in the future. Yeah. Um, here's another quick one from the same same place. Uh, I love this, comrades. There is no true social revolution without the liberation of women. May my eyes never see and my feet never take me to a society where half the people are held in silence. I love that because that's 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 going to be a a nice little allusion to my topic. Oh hell yeah! Yeah. I'm about it. Hell yeah! All right. Um, I think Virch, you got. What time is it? I don't know what time it is. It's um, it's time for a li- just a little bit of good cooking. Yes. Nom 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 nom. Um, today's is gonna be. I'm so excited. This. Uh, yeah. uh, today's is gonna be a little bit more slurpy slurp. That my mouth is too dry to make slurpy sounds. It's beverage. Uh, oh, okay. Good beveraging. Hey, um, that still counts. That still counts. Yeah. So this is like a, an item that is not unfamiliar in the U.S. because, of course, it has been packaged and bottled and manufactured and sold nationally in a in a in a form that is not the way I want to talk about it. Today we'd like to talk about okay. mate. Oh, mate. okay. So if you mate. if you've uh, been out to any grocery store in the last ten years, even you'll probably you've probably yeah. seen the yerba mate bottles. Um, it's got, you know, it's like a slightly minty kind of tea, but it's like, it's like a Snapple tea product. It's like the, the yellowish orange. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Herba, herba mate. Yeah, Is yeah. that herba mate? Yeah. It, it's got a Y. It's yerba mate, but it's like, yeah, the word is herb, essentially. But is the, but isn't the, the brand? Oh, no, it is yerba. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I'm, I'm wrong. Um, yeah. Wow, dude. Big of you to guayaki. Big of you to uh, say those words. I'm wrong, dude. Good, good on you. Um, <laughs> uh, guayaki is the is yes. the big famous brand. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So I first came in contact with this when I went to a soccer camp, where we had this off the rocker Uruguayan uh, soccer coach named Santiago Kalemkarian, ethnically mm-hmm. sure. uh, ethnically um, Armenian. Um, mm. He's half. I think he was half Armenian, half Uruguayan. But anyway, he would always have this little, like, tiny little gourd that was f- just filled to the brim with tea leaves. Sure. Imagine, like, a, a bowl of weed that is, like, mm-hmm. like six to eight ounces big. That's what it looked like. And it just had this metal straw, and he had this uh, fucking um, thermos that just had, like, hot water. And he'd just, like, refill it and then just sip on this thing. And I was Hell yeah. and we'd be like, yo, what the fuck is that? Like, give us a hit, you know, kind of thing. I'm in like <laughs> yeah. middle school, like I've never taken a hit of anything. Yeah. Um, and uh it was like ridiculously bitter, but like, you know, immediately just like, mm, whoa, something about this. Very cool, you know? Um and so Mate, I got really into it. Oh, 
this coach also had this great philosophy that he said he got from Uruguay, which is that you cannot call yourself a straight man until you've tried it once and decided it's not for you. <laughs> until then, you're just uh, and he used the word you're just a pussy. <laughs> and I was like, I, yeah, that's progressive. Yeah, 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 that's progressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Spectrum. Yeah. He's on the. If spectrum, you haven't yeah. tried it and you think you're straight, man, no, you're just pussy. Um, I don't know what accent that was, but uh, anyway, so mate, also known as chimarrão, probably more in uh, Brazil or cimarron, mm. is a traditional South American caffeine rich cat it is very caffeine rich infused really infused drink yeah like even more than coffee or like similar or i think it's like really intense um because it has because it has a guarana intriguing it's like a guarana kind of thing in it yeah yeah it's just like mm. but um uh it, it is made by soaking the dried leaves of the holly species uh Alex Paraguayensis, you know, a Paraguayan yeah, sure. holly, in hot water and is served with a metal straw in a container typically made from a calabash gourd. It is consumed by the Guarani and the Tupi people, and it has been consumed in America since pre-Columbian times. One of those OG beverages. And its consumption it was exclusive to the natives of the two regions that... Uh, uh, the natives of the two regions of the territory that today is Paraguay, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So essentially it's Paraguay, southern Chile, um, southern Brazil. But it's big Uruguay and Argentina too. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, really big everywhere, but it's in the like the middle middle of the um, continent. Yeah, 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 sure. It's kind of where. Totally. And interestingly, yeah. Syria and Lebanon. Um, Syria is the largest importer of mate in the world. And it was just brought from Paraguay and Argentina by immigrants. So it's just like, it just got there and the people stuck with it and they liked it. That's so strange. Yeah. And I, I don't really, I didn't really find anything like to, you know. Yeah. Because I mean, there's nothing culturally against coffee in that region, right? Right. And the interesting thing is, so I also looked up caffeine as part of this, like, I'm curious what the history of caffeine in that area was and stuff. Yeah. And um, coffee, coffee already exists. So the earliest credible evidence of either coffee drinking or knowledge of the plant appears in the middle of the 15th century in the Sufi monasteries of Yemen. And then from, of course, from mocha in yemen coffee spread to egypt and north africa and then by the 16th century it had reached the rest of the middle east persia and turkey so i'm guessing that mate did not make it to syria before that no the 16th century so yeah coffee I already wonder, existed people just may needed a i wonder if the people of the levant just fucking love caffeine i wouldn't be surprised especially yeah. especially because like Caffeine and nicotine are like the primary, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, like 
stimulants or not even stimulants, like drugs Mm -hmm. that get to be, you know, you get to have in in that part of the world Mm -hmm. for the most part, you know? So it like, it just is taking hold and it's like, oh, we'll do, we'll do all of it. Like, give us a different type of caffeine. Mm -hmm. We will fucking go for it. Yeah. You found your audience. Yeah. I love that because there's a universe out there where south the southwest united states is um littered with camels but our yep. universe is the one where syria is littered with mate with mate yeah. i love that's that. all right you know? yeah yeah um and, and it's so funny because like if you look at if you look up the pictures if you're if you're unfamiliar it really just looks like a b- big wet bowl of weed <laughs> yeah well, it's got a really cool straw too, right? Like it's yeah, got a big ball so it's called a bombilla. It looks at first glance, it looks like a um, what do you call it? Like a shaved ice straw, where at the bottom has a little spoon on it, but it's metal. Um, and it just looks like you can't drink that and not look sexy. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, and it's tasty. <laughs> Have you had it? I've, Have you had like? Oh yeah, you've had the. Yeah, 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 I've had it, and and I definitely like try. I like tried a whole bowl at one point. Yeah, and it was like too much. I was I was making a lot of mistakes on the soccer pitch. <laughs> yeah, it was probably before you you drank coffee too, though. right? Yeah, actually, I started coffee fairly early, but I mean, really, this is where like Guarana is like. Yeah. When did you start drinking coffee? Probably, like, middle school was when I started doing, like, high milk ratio coffees. But by the end of middle school, it was, like, I would go to a Starbucks and not even look at the fraps. Really? Emmy, when did you start drinking coffee? Um, I was, like, a social coffee drinker in high school. And then in college, I was, like, trying to push against using coffee is like a you know hype up like get my homework done and then i very quickly fell into it and now i'm a full-on addict where if i don't have coffee throughout the day i get migraines just like debilitating ones (laughs) that's i i definitely am there too but i didn't start drinking it until i started dating my now wife Mm. when i was like you're new you're like new on how how has she done with the pregnancy and not being able to drink as much caffeine dude it's fascinating for whatever reason it like the craving is gone Mm. uh so it just like it just like evaporated and like like she'll take a sip and it like makes her feel gross but i have a pretty big sinking suspicion that immediately once she is no longer pregnant she will yeah i think so because she's she's now doing um like decaf lattes mm. and enjoys that. Like she'll do it on the weekend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and enjoys that. And like, kind of like it gets the, the mental aspect. Cause for me too, although I definitely have the, um, the physical reactions, the biggest part for me is I just like enjoy the, the routine of it all, mm-hmm. which is like, I think a holdover from when I smoked cigarettes yeah, uh, yeah, yeah like that was what i loved the most about cigarettes was like the routine of like okay you wake up you smoke a cigarette you have a cigarette with this this you know like it just it just amplifies stuff mm-hmm. and coffee is the same way where it's like ooh, around 10 a.m 
if you get a nice like like a good coffee and like you can just like sit for a second uh-huh I feel like it helps you with this idea of like you have some control over what your day looks like and you can affect how things go. It helps like the morning meditation process kind of thing, you know? It like feels meditative to just like sit with that hot cup of coffee and then, you know, you really start to feel it after you get out of that zone. Yeah. It's nice. Um, Another reason that I'm glad we're like on the caffeine conversation. Yeah. Because I saw a clip. Yeah, I'll be real. I saw a clip of Joe Rogan experience. Oh my god, I saw the same <laughs> because because it's just on the it's always just on the front. Yeah. So this guy, this um, author and journalist Michael Pollan, uh, he has he is known for his books that talk about the so- socio cultural impacts of food. Okay. Um, so like yeah, yeah yeah he did uh, the omnivores revenge. Yes, the omnivores or dilemma. Not, dilemma. Yeah. Not revenge. Yeah yeah yeah. Yes, I've been. Uh, call out to our listener and friend Garrett oh, uh, yeah. he has told me to read this book probably five <laughs> different times now yeah I need to read it I would like to read it that's a he seems like a really interesting guy and he uh, is and what's cool yeah. and what's funny is like I don't know if it's like how he looks or just kind of like how he talks in the cadence he reminds me of your dad actually oh funny yeah um you might think not at all uh, <laughs> but that's just because you fucking have known him since the day you were born. Yeah. Um, but he talks about going off caffeine for three months. Hmm. And he said, like, the first first week or first month, he said, was just, like, a nightmare. Just unable to focus. Yeah. Can't do shit. And then over time, he got over it. But the first cup of coffee he had after three months, he said, was, like, was like not even borderline. It was, like, a psychedelic experience. Whoa. Which to him, the conclusion was that's how much all of us are just constantly just on a caffeine kick, even if we're not, if, even if we didn't have a coffee. Our yeah, body yeah, is yeah. just, we are beings that have just like evolved ourselves into coffee through yeah. our use of it and throughout our lives. Um. All right, guys. Should we go into it? I think it's about that time. I think it's about that time. So... Guys, yes, please. I want to. I want to talk about Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh fuck yeah, hip hip lady, man. <laughs> hip lady. Um, what do you guys know about Eleanor Roosevelt? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that she pretty much revolutionized the role of the first lady mm-hmm. from just looking nice next to the president to like making positive change doing something and essentially yeah. like all good first ladies and mostly like all first ladies in general since then have like emulated her yeah i mean i think that's a good point and i don't know if it's even true necessarily interesting like, i don't that's 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 like, I, like what i think of yeah, no, and I think that makes sense. Like, and I don't—I admittedly don't know enough about like the history of the first ladies of the United States right. to like make a like a proper judgment call on this. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll figure it out. But but like Eleanor Roosevelt certainly commanded like more of a place in history right. than any first lady even after Definitely. her until until hillary clinton right who is like i think kind of you could 
you could start to make some comparisons. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder... And I will say this. I, I don't personally have a very uh, high opinion of Hillary Clinton. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Shocker. Shocker. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I... And after... <laughs> doing the nominal (laughs) research on Eleanor Roosevelt. I do have a high opinion of her. I think that she's different. And I think that it could be constructive, even though we're like all coming from this, like from a pretty place of like low knowledge Mm -hmm. to like talk about why. Yeah, let's learn. But also like some of the failings. All right. So, so Eleanor Roosevelt, um, she was, for those who don't know, um, the husband to President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. I love that we say who, Delano all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so FDR uh, was president from um, 1933 to 1945. Uh, he is, by most historians' standpoint, a top five United States president of all time uh, I'm, in my, yeah, I, I would, I would place him number one uh-huh. for like the, my political ideology. And you know, it's like him and Lincoln probably I'd say like, I'd like, say tw- like the most noble men to be president. Yeah. Like tw- 20th century, like pretty peak. We, I mean the 20th century pretty much was entirely in his like era of ideology until yeah, the Antichrist himself, Ronald Reagan, came along. Yeah, like boo, 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 boo. So Eleanor Roosevelt, um, she was FDR's wife. She was the first lady of the United States. Um, President Harry Harry Truman called her the first lady of the world um, in tribute to her human rights achievements. The only good thing he ever did. Yeah, true. I, I I know this is a. a not a i mean truman yeah i'm staunchly anti-truman i get why (laughs) (laughs) and you're not wrong um uh so so roosevelt uh eleanor roosevelt also born anna eleanor roosevelt this is a fun fact so eleanor roosevelt is from the side of the roosevelt family that has teddy roosevelt Mm -hmm. so Teddy Roosevelt, also another great president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Some more, some more bruises around the legacy of Teddy Roosevelt than FDR. Although yeah. some very big shining moments, the national parks being the biggest one of yes. them, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, he is Eleanor Roosevelt's uncle, so FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt were fifth cousins. Oh, so like I don't think I ever realized that she was born with the name roosevelt that's so funny (laughs) it's fucking it's fucking weird i don't care if you're second cousins third cousins. did they meet at a reunion (laughs) yeah um so they're fifth cousins she was born with the name roosevelt um she was uh as you kind of already brought up um kind of a new type of first lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was always a bit of an iconoclast yeah. in her lifetime. Love those. I mean, she, she was no, I mean, she was born into a very, very high society, New York American family. Mm-hmm. So like 
you you can click on every every single person in both FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt's family, like multiple generations in either direction. Mm-hmm. They've got Wikipedia pages, which is fascinating, and there's some stinkers. Yeah, I bet. Let me tell you, I've got I've got some saved up. If we can probably get to it if we get on the right area, but um, she was known as kind of an ugly woman, mm-hmm. and a bit like just plain. Mm-hmm. So she had like this kind of she had this weird. Did they use the word homely? She, she, yeah, they probably did sometimes. Um, she was she was just not she was not good for high society, right? Mm-hmm. Like she was not a socialite. She thought black people were like real people. She advocated for women's rights, and she was kind of ugly. And so, like in the New York high society, she was not. I mean, she was just not the best. Uh, her mom was really mean to her too. Yeah. Let me see if I can find. Uh, so her dad was an alcoholic, and he was in a sanitarium. Her mom nicknamed her Granny because she was such a serious Aww. child. And her mom emotionally rejected Eleanor and was also somewhat ashamed of her daughter's alleged plainness. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, there's a picture of her as a 14 year old. I don't know. I think she's like I don't know. I don't think she's like as bad looking as people give her. Yeah, I'm sure uh, she wasn't. That it's just yeah, I, um, I might, people I might are fucking share mean. For this. <laughs> I might screen share for this. Um, wait, oh you yeah, yeah. Me screen share. It's just, I might do because this is like I mean she's a very important person. She's got like a five thousand word Wikipedia page. So <laughs> she has five thousand followers. Just, yeah, she's got five thousand followers. So. Um, no, he, you know what's interesting? I'm going to interject for a second here. You know, the H- yeah. H- HFS Hall of Famers are all kind of like uh, people that we can describe as either like enlightened to a degree or like they get it. Yeah. And Eckhart Tolle, who is kind of like the modern day philosopher that talks about that stuff, he ta- when he talks about himself, he always is just like, he's kind of just like, look at me. Have you like seen me? I, I was never attractive. So all the times that I wasn't distracted by women coming up to me, I had a lot of time to think about why I was this way. Yeah. And so just the idea of not being physically desirable growing up. Well, yeah, makes and, you and I do think about a lot of things. It is super interesting. Um, I don't know that in this show that we've brought up someone who, in their time was very well known or actually we did we with nudity because we talked about the women who in the french uh high society would just have their their tits out yeah, yeah, yeah. um or just one cool yeah or just one the um, better one but like the uh, the con- conception of like attractiveness in your time period is really interesting because like all right this is eleanor roosevelt when she was 14 years old oh. I don't think she's that unattractive. No, I mean, not at but all. She was like Eleanor Roosevelt was famously, famously unattractive in her time. People, people are mean. Yeah, she got great hair. She got great hair. Um, so then she was, uh, you know, she, high society, blah blah blah, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, more blah blah blah. She. You know, this is the thing, is like all these people in high society, if you're a good person, then you like take on all these projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because 
Because if you're if you're a Roosevelt in the early 20th century, like you don't have to do shit. No. Like you don't need to do this. She just did this because she, you know, cared. Yeah. Um, she she met FDR. Um, they began a secret correspondence, became engaged, got married. Uh, this is a great villain of this story, uh, Sarah <laughs> Ann Delano, which is. Um, uh, FDR's mom, <laughs> huge bitch. She's got huge she's bitch. got that like movie, movie like, oh, that's the mama who, but like, kind of mama. Yeah, she um, and and FDR was kind of a baby back bitch about like well, so FDR did a lot of great, and this is an interesting thing. Like, they're an interesting pair in history because. Eleanor Roosevelt has a lot of the social progressivism on issues that we have today. Like you could you could put you could plop Eleanor Roosevelt into the modern day mm-hmm. and she would still be on the cutting edge of being like progressive on a social aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then FDR I think is so important because and long forgotten now like he was so economically left wing mm-hmm. for us as high society mm-hmm. um but he was also like not i mean he did he made some bad i he was not nice to eleanor like like this is what he wrote his mom i know what pain i must have caused you i know my own mind and known it for a long time and i know that i could never think otherwise like to tell your mother like who doesn't support you uh you know, dating this woman, I know what pain I must have caused you. Like, you should tell her to fuck off. Yeah. Um, she is not nearly as pretty as you, mommy, and I am sorry yeah. for that, mommy. Yeah. And then he did, he ended up having, like, a, you know, decades-long affair with this woman. Who, uh, okay, who cares? Okay, Lucy. Yeah. Lucy Mercer. <laughs> That's Eleanor. Oh, look at Eleanor's um, eyes. Yeah, she's got kind gorgeous, eyes. gorgeous. She also, though, did say um, she disliked having sex with her husband. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, she once told her daughter, it. Anna, that it was an ordeal to be born. <laughs> so there is um, a lot of real um, kind of stuff mm-hmm. about her being maybe a lesbian. Yeah. Um, I mean, specifically, everyone's trans, in my opinion. <laughs> specifically with this woman, Lorena Hickok. Oh, yes. Um, they would... Roosevelt wrote daily 10 to 15 page letters to Hick, who was planning to write a biography of the First Lady. The letters included such endearments as, I want to put my arms around you and kiss you at the corner of your mouth. And I can't kiss you, so I kiss your picture. Good night and good morning. Yeah, I think they yes, stushed. I think hundred percent. I hope they did. Um, there's a, a they lot clearly of wanted to. So I, I very yeah, much hope there's they a did. lot. I hope they did. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Is it like it doesn't? It yeah. I I almost think that FDR's affairs and Eleanor Roosevelt. I, I just, I mean, it just strikes me that, so. This is why she was a that, hip, hip lady, man, because she had all these thoughts. 
Yeah, I just feelings. don't think that they. I don't think that they loved each other like that. But I think that they did great things, just you know, because of that. I think. Almost. I think. Not despite, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and here's, here's that's This is kind of how I feel about marriage these days. Is like, it doesn't have to be a, a sexual commitment. It doesn't have to be like what we see as a classic romantic commitment. I right. think if you just know that this person is just like just great to have by your side as like a like a solid teammate to the point where there is love there then that's like you know enough as long as you're on the same page about things that's like how i feel yeah and so i can see them both kind of like making an agreement where it's just like yeah like this is this is good um hick is way hotter than you (laughs) yeah exactly um it, I don't know. I mean, they they definitely they definitely seem to have a good rapport. It wasn't like they hated each other. It does. It is. Yeah, it comes down they, to like how on the same page they were about everything. The other thing is that I do think that there was definitely not that I think that there's a comparison to Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yeah, but that Bill and Hillary Clinton clearly, yeah, at some point in their life have had a conversation where they're like, we are FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. And they're so fucking not. They're like the, <laughs> they e- they're like the evil version of FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. But they cle- like there is like something in their head where they think that they are. Yeah, yeah. They wear the FDR um, shirts. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, the, I mean, this is the thing about... Eleanor Roosevelt is that there's this overwhelming feeling that she and I think FDR too like there and and weirdly this is like kind of like a through line with what we talked about with Cuba too with with Castro Uh is that like with these prominent people whose like entire lives are like on display and they like they've like somehow entered into a contract with the world that they are an important person. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it's very easy to like see through the bullshit of it all. Yeah. But sometimes you're like, no, these people were really trying. Yep. And I get that with Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. And I will say, um, I mean, there, I, and there's a ton of examples and we can talk about it a little bit. I mean, she hated the idea of being first lady because she was replacing Herbert Hoover and his wife mm. and Lou Henry Hoover had ended her feminist activism on becoming first lady uh, stating her only attention was to be a backdrop for birdie and f- fuck Herbert Hoover, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, but then she, uh, she was like um, a huge uh, like feminist activist yeah. She was, uh, let's see, she supported people who were accused of being communists, uh, like, yeah, she, she fight down for the cause. Um, she was a civil rights activist, um, she, I, she just did a lot of, like, really interesting and, like, very, very forward-thinking stuff. Uh-huh. But, there's always a but. Of course. I feel like Eleanor Roosevelt 
is the matriarch of our modern day completely ineffectual social progressive ideology and i will just say that like i read through her wikipedia page and i would love to be wrong about this because i do think to a certain extent she like pushed the world forward just by her being her yeah but like every like link into like the things that she worked on Mm -hmm. were just complete abject failures Mm. and part of it was that she i think was too like so uh so arthurdale right yeah is this um arthurdale western virginia was a a part of the subsistence homesteads division uh uh it's a town in northern west virginia that this was Eleanor Roosevelt's pet project while she was first lady. Hmm. Uh, it was a, a New Deal reform where out-of-work coal miners were given um, homes in a new town in West Virginia, and they were uh, trying to, uh, you know, like, encourage self-sufficiency. Right. It was a, just an absolute un... Uh, you know, un consequential failure it just did not come together it didn't work part of it was that the coal miners she wanted it to be a diverse group the coal miners required it to be white christians <sighs> and they went along with it and this is kind of an fdr complaint too like yeah. there's no force mm-hmm. eleanor roosevelt and i you know after reading her wikipedia page i love her to death but she didn't there's no there was no follow through uh, like she clearly believed in this stuff mm-hmm. and she could have been convinced to believe even further mm-hmm. like but because she never took the next step towards like right. actual like fundamental radical change mm-hmm. we end up with the day like the the moment that we have now which is just this like really like she was criticized all her life for being ugly, potentially a lesbian, like too uppity, you know, yeah. all this stuff. And she never really fought back enough. Yo, okay. You know? I feel you. I feel you on this. And I and like how much better would this story be if she had? But this is how I feel about Barack Obama. Oh, I mean, 100%. this is a great a great example yeah. similar to Barack Obama. Obama's worse. I mean, mm. Obama did some stuff that I think was even more consequentially bad right. for the world. Right. Uh, he was more pragmatic, mm-hmm. and and this does bring up the the concept of like, what is American pragmatism? Mm-hmm. If and if we're gonna go back to you know the word that we started this episode with, like morality, like. Is it moral to be pragmatic when you're facing that's an institution as evil as the United States government? That's the thing. That's the thing. That's 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 what the government has on lock is where it's like, can you even get to the point of making enough change before they shut you down the moment you step out of line? Right. That's the that's there's the rub. This is I don't know if this is an American problem. I don't know if this is an ideological problem, but. Uh, 
that's the issue with electoralism yep. at large. And I think it's so a human it's like, yeah. well, it's a human problem. It is American in the sense that our constitution was written clearly to protect yeah. property. Yeah. And we still work on the constitution that was written in the 18th century. Like, and we are proud of that. Mm-hmm. We, we, we carry it as almost as sacred as the Bible. Um, almost intentionally but so so there's that right like that fucking we are obsessed with the 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 sanctity of this document seriously that protects property and because it protects property even though it doesn't have anything about political parties Mm -hmm. the political parties protect property that has only gotten more extreme which is in the name of like corporations Mm -hmm. so the supreme court says that oh corporations are actually people now you know i mean that's what the citizens united court case was about Mm -hmm. and and then we're stuck like so so electoralism under these specific american conditions do not work Mm -hmm. who are we to say that this works aoc like these people can't change anything. Nope. Why are we to say that China, with the way that they've chosen to organize themselves, can they can't do that? What they we want them to be the United States of America? Why? Because it's so great. It's not great. Because it sucks. you know what it is. You know what it is. This shit sucks. Because we need it. We need it to be great. Or or what the fuck are we doing? Absolutely. We need no, ourselves I mean, to be proven that, right. That is the that is the good liberal perspective. Yep. I mean, that is absolutely and the and the conservative perspective is we'll fuck them. Yeah. I mean, we'll bomb them if we need to. Yeah. And I, and, and that comes down to like the what can be considered white but like the this like neoliberal perspective is that like I'm aligning myself with this out of the, uh out of a almost masturbatory need to be moralistically right. And so if that yeah. gets proven wrong, then that takes away my identity. And so it needs to be right, and I'm going to enforce it. Yeah. And that's what American idealism is, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, um, for me, I try and frame as much of my political ideology, mm-hmm. uh, if not as much of my personal action, mm-hmm around of doing good for people I don't know Mm -hmm. like that like shapes like my politics Mm -hmm. and in in an electoral system that's easy Mm -hmm. right like you vote for Bernie Sanders or you vote for the person yeah who they'll represent is who and 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 more than even will represent me will represent the people I do not know yes 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 because that's who I care about right? right like I don't really need but in a revolution caring about who you don't know starts to be like more complicated mm-hmm. scary mm-hmm. dangerous mm-hmm. those are i mean i don't know i john both part of me wishes part of me hopes that that decision will have to be made in my life mm-hmm. part of me hopes that i will not have to see it you know yes uh, that I think is going to be the perfect segue. Hell yeah. John, I have uh, an outlet for you to tackle these similar concepts, but from a much more moment-to-moment empowering angle 
than through what we've been talking about. My subject today is the early history of funk. Yes. And, Hell and, and yes. what it and what it meant at that specific moment. Funk. And its place it. in history. So I don't know this story. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So the first page we're going to is the page for the song Cold Sweat by James Brown. Okay. Brown oh, yeah. first recorded this in 1967. Okay. But he really picked up the version we know in like 68. And this is kind of the song that's seen as like, oh, this is the first like funk song. Um, and so he had already come out with Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, which was a little more upbeat than, you know, you used to have like soul and like kind of like Motown vibes, yeah. a little smoother, very like still tied to jazz kind of. Yeah, right? totally. But funk, but with Cold Sweat, the, the, this is the first song where the emphasis is put on the downbeat of the first beat. So it used to be one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. But with Cold Sweat, it goes. And for the first time, the instruments are all conceptually um, presented as percussive instruments, rhythm instruments. It's not about melodies. They're all holding down the beat. Wow. And the cool thing about that is this goes back to traditional, um, largely Ashanti, but like African. Yeah. West, West African. West African, right? You know, yeah. like uh, I learned from our friend from Tokyo, Michael Deck, Ghanaian, Ghanaian drum beats and music. A lot of it's in twelve eight because it has it, it feels like it never ends. It's like so it doesn't feel like it ever ends. You're just kind of on that beat. Building. Yeah. You're just always building. It's not about yeah. beginning, middle, end. It's kind of a circular, constant feeling. And wow. so for the first time, you have like real danceable groovable music and i love this as someone who is bicultural because you yeah. know if we go back into a lot of like the the psychology philosophy stuff about conscious subconscious and the merging of the two i always saw the subconscious as being my japanese side the conscious being americanism and only when i was able to merge those two and take from that without seeing either as a burden or a blessing relative to the other one was when I finally yeah. realized who I was, right? And funk sure. feels that way because all American music comes from the blues. And blues yeah. is like, we are taken, we don't have a history, like we're taken away from our, it's the blues. And yeah. jazz is the first time you kind of begin to take Western concepts into that. And hmm. funk is the first moment by taking back, bringing back the pre-slavery African rhythms that are already ingrained in the culture and the people and merging that with the new, you know, instruments and like Western musical things. It's, a, it's liberation music for the first time. It's right. black liberation music. 
fucking mm. I have so much respect for funk in a way that I never did before. It's like insane. Yeah. So in this moment in 1968, this is only a couple years after Laurel Canyon. This is in the height of like riot, like protest, civil rights, you yeah. know, feelings. You know, after yeah. after the big main moments, but like the feeling in the nation was very much there. Um, yeah. In 68, it just, like, boom, becomes a thing with uh, James Brown. Very cool. Very cool. Now, what's interesting about James Brown, and I'm, I'm going to compare this to Sly and the Family Stone. The thing about James Brown, he's, like, the godfather. But, but within right. the band, it's, it's James Brown and the band. But in the next couple years, you start seeing bands, particularly, like, Sly and the Family Stone, where now the whole band, they all have an egalitarian place in the band. It's it, Sure, it's called Sly and the Family Stone, but the reason that band was big was because you have these white guys who are playing instruments right next to black people, which is was not a thing then, and no one is more important than anyone else in the band. Yeah, I mean, if I'm... if And I could be mistaken, uh, but if i interpret my sense of history yeah. of this uh james brown was so eminently talented yeah. that that he was doing a lot of this almost subconsciously yeah. and sly and the family stone on the alternative was like like eminently yeah, aware yeah. of we're, what they were doing extremely aware of the exact like Sent the place in musical history that they were placing. That's themselves. a really good point. And there's this moment in this documentary I saw where uh, I think I want to say it was Jerry Martini, the saxophonist. He's one of the two white guys in the band. He was wearing yeah. what he would normally wear. And like, I think it must have been Sly, like, kind of looked at him and looked at the rest of the band and said, You're not wearing that. And got like a rug, a cow, like a cow skin rug. And like put it on him and he's like okay now you're part of the band like now we are all together that's awesome. so that that consciousness was very much not in yeah. james brown at, at at the time like that wasn't his intent yeah you know where is sly and the family stone from they are from the are, bay like, area their... san francisco yeah okay so this makes a lot yes. of sense to me I geographically from an American standpoint, because because I grew up, um, I don't know, for the listeners that don't know, I grew up in Atlanta, grew up in the South, and we grew up driving to Charleston, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, four or five times uh-huh. a year. And I don't know, by the time I was like nine or 10, my dad had decided that it wasn't fun to drive the interstates anymore. So we would drive the back highways yeah. from Atlanta to Charleston. It's like only maybe an hour longer, mm-hmm. and you it's a direct shot. Um, and so we you drive through Augusta, Georgia, and then you drive an outskirt of Augusta, Georgia is Beach Island, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Beach Island, South Carolina is where James Brown is from. Mm-hmm. And it is brutally rough. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just like, like just very southern, very like... And, and small town and poor and disparate. Mm-hmm. And 
I would say that there is this common thread with with culture, mm-hmm. spe- spe- specifically the arts, but you know, very very specifically mm-hmm. music that comes out of the South. That is like this like unintentional magic, yep. mm-hmm. you know. And then alternatively, I think that a lot of culture and art and music that comes out of the Bay mm-hmm. Area, I wouldn't go so far as to call it contrived, right. but it's deliberate. Yeah. yeah. Conscious. You know, it, like it, those, it, it is they're it, conscious. They are projecting yeah. a specific image that is intentional. Yeah. It's just I mean, it's just very and and I mean, I'm sure it's not the same you can't you can't prescribe this on every part of American music mm-hmm. history, but enough to make some pretty sweeping generalization yeah i mean i'm always down for like individuals who are all about the flower child situation but the idea of the hippie movement as like a lot of teen runaways going to like san francisco and stuff to me isn't what i'm about you know what i mean like that's the difference right um to me that's just the instagram you know masses yeah absolutely stories kind of thing um yeah so that's great uh that you brought that up though because um New Orleans does play into this. Uh, and, and and I will sure. say it's more like about the specific, how, how musically how it was built. Um, by which I mean I don't understand sure. all the differences that they're talking about. But of course New Orleans, yeah. you know, shouldn't come as a surprise that like that's where kind of like the, the amalgamation of the different um, sounds, mm-hmm. you know, came together. Uh, have you been? Have you been no. to New Orleans? Have you, Emmy? I have not, but I really want to go. It's my dream. It's my I, dream. I haven't my, been anywhere like it, and I think it would just be such a it's, cool experience. Yeah, it's, it's the best city. One of the best cities on Earth. It really is. Um, it's going to be on the Hegelian Friendship Simulator uh, World Tour. Absolutely. Maybe first yeah. stop. Uh, it is unbelievable. Just an unbelievable place. Um, Oh, and not to go back to my show again, but like <laughs> when I'm there and there's like old people there, they will start reminiscing and talking story to me. And I people people talking about like New Orleans in that time and stuff is just like magical. Magical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll bet. I'll bet. I mean, that that is the thing about New Orleans too is that like uh you know, I, it sucks to like frame it like this, but you guys won't actually ever get nope. to see it. Nope. Because it, because a part of it died, yeah. in, you know, in 2005. Yeah. It really is just like unbelievable. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It, it It's hard to kind of really contemplate. <laughs> it, 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 I, it, that's funny because I've already in my head prepared myself for that experience of New Orleans to be the post-Katrina rebuilt right. like how do we maintain our maintain the the life that new orleans is despite that you know to yeah. have such a like well, life affirming culture in that in that way and right. then to go through exactly that it's yeah no it's it's so it seems so completely unfair yep. right like that a place that could be so full of life, like un- unquestionably, objectively full of life, yeah. could have something so unspeakable happen right. to it, both by God, 
or you know whatever you perceive to be like the earth force mm-hmm. to be and by people yeah. incapable of helping yeah. those people yeah. you know like and the amount new orleans is, and, is special and it should be protected, and the amount you know? like so many of us like kind of like uh, uh, kanye west after that that uh george bush hates black people thing yeah that being like the first moment where we were like maybe this kanye guy is not as stable as we thought like and to think like he he thought about all of this he just like didn't articulate it tactfully in the same way that people are saying like people aren't protesting correctly like it's the same mentality and so yeah definitely like reframes a lot of things as as a waking up (laughs) as the slow, long and arduous process of waking up is want to do. Um, yeah. It's kind of slowly reframing things. Um, um, back back to, funk. to funk. So Sly and the Family Stone is great. They, they, as they, as they get big though, of course, with substance abuse problems and internal strife and such, there were issues and stuff like that. But I think anyone who actually, knows their full discography knows that their later stuff is not any worse than their early stuff um Mm -hmm. but you know you get these you get these songs that are not about bumming out about the plight of being uh the uh unwanted people in a country but you get songs like everyday people you get songs like thank you for letting me be myself again you know, it's liberation music, truly, you know? Yeah. And then you get into people like George Clinton. Sure. Who then takes it a step further and begins to look towards the future of what the black community could be, Afrofuturism. So that's when you get, like, the sure. mothership connection. You get this, like, kind of, like, woo-woo sci-fi aspect to yeah. psychedelic funk. You know what I mean? Um. And, of course, thinking about all of this happening at the exact time, it did, you know, like James Brown became like a voice uh, for the protest, you know, and in ways that like he he I think he was anti in some ways like he wasn't he wasn't anti activism activism. But I think he there was something that I, I read at some point. I can't find it right now where he wasn't comfortable um oh so he was playing politics he 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 often shied away from discussing civil rights in his songs in fear of alienating his crossover audience hmm. um and in 1968 in response to a growing urge of anti-war advocacy during the Vietnam War Brown recorded America is my home this is 1968 and by like 1971, mm. too, because of what funk did to the national consciousness, like that sort of fear is completely abandoned. And it's all just like, yeah, you know, the positive ways of like, we're, we can be ourselves and live our lives, you know? Right. Um, the, so, I mean, and I think it's important because we, we, we've brought it up a lot and I think wikipedia would dictate that we could bring it up a whole lot Mm -hmm. more i can never quite get my head around just the amount of 
differing thoughts that existed in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I don't quite even know how to phrase it, but like, I mean, you're dealing with like the, okay, the counterculture movement, which in and of itself is a thousand different things. It's hippies, it's hell's angels, it's fucking, you know, uh, it's funk, yeah. it's, it's all this stuff, right? But then you're also dealing with like uh, pan-Africanism. You like there's mm-hmm. there's uh, you know um, there's the Black Panther Party. Yeah. There's I, I don't know. I mean, and I'm not I'm not doing justice to the the actual sheer amount of things that are happening in this moment. But like so much, I could imagine being a musician, right? Where like music is what makes sense to you. You're George. Imagine you're George mm-hmm. Clinton. Clearly, you have like an ideology yeah. in your head, but what makes sense to you is music. Mm-hmm. How uncomfortable would have to be to potentially end up being the voice yeah. for a group of? I think this is why Bob Dylan ended up being a fucking born again Christian for a while, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's because it was just like so unsettling mm-hmm. to be be the voice for yeah. people. Who you and you don't know. This is again. I mean, especially then they in that moment even more than we do now because we're so sure of fucking everything. Right. They didn't know shit about shit, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. You know, like that. That really was true in the nineteen seventies, mm-hmm. and people were fucking stoned all yeah. the time. I mean, people were just on fucking yeah. quaaludes and weed and yeah. booze constantly. Yeah. And then, of course, like completely know. separately, someone for no cultural intention at all develops LSD, you know. Yeah, in a fully oh unrelated scenario, but at the same time, right? Yeah, it'd be it'd be frustrating to be you're a person, but then your identity also becomes the symbol that other people take on, and it's like this is not right. necessarily what I'm trying to do with what I'm putting out. Like same with like I always think about that with like Bob Dylan and like first year college students. Like <laughs> that's definitely not who he was yeah. trying to be in the long run. I don't think, but mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. now like how he's represented in overall U.S. culture. You know? Yeah, it's like wearing a Che Guevara well, shirt. And you don't even have the you don't even have the benefit of the internet to understand yep. what your yep. voice is. I mean, think about the difference between like then and now, like being Olivia Rodrigo right now, which I'm sure is really fucking mm-hmm. hard to like navigate. You're 17 years mm-hmm. old, like you're I don't know, you just like people listen to your music constantly mm-hmm. now. It's happened over six yeah. months or three months or whatever, but like. In the 1970s, you don't have any context for your popularity. You only know what people directly in your face are telling you. And maybe some data, if you're big enough that you have like a record label that can tell you like how many sales you have. But you don't, everything happens so much slower. It's Mm -hmm. weird. You guys are touching on something very interesting about specifically, I'd say, the role of music as an art form in trying to get that stuff. Like, I think a lot of, a lot of, people argue that music is like the purest form art purest art form because ultimately it's nonverbal and it's about Mm. it's about evoking these subconscious feelings without telling you the words that you should ascribe to them now of course there's lyrics and stuff but what's interesting about funk is for the first time there's no 
narrative lyrics to it. It's just the repetition of certain phrases over and over. Yeah. Um, as kind of a comp of a, a slight verbal cue for what the rest of the song is. Um, so I can imagine why pe- people who have already been drawn to that and are at the top of that game to then have to be- take on this very verbal, very specifically conscious, borderline ego, borderline purely egoistic uh, avenue to do what they were already kind of trying to do is a yeah. is a hard step back, really. The problem is people don't largely listen to music in that way and so the connection of that is uh, is harder to make unless of course you're a black person in the 70s and for the first time you're hearing people tell you to be proud about being black meanwhile the music you're hearing is right up your alley you know what i mean and anything outside of that it's like hard to make that connection without just being like oh this is cool new music and blah 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 you know yeah. So yeah, there is something specifically to music and the necessity the necessity to just put it out and then possibly not be associated with your own music in any way outside of just that. I I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's music I yeah, you are. like it's very interesting and, and man, I have so much more respect for funk than I ever did before. Is ultimately what it is. It's, I mean, it, yeah, no, it's very cool. It, it reminds me, I, I find it interesting, I don't know, I'm, I'm making mm-hmm. a, like, personal uh, connection because of my own musical taste, but, like, I think it's interesting that funk and, like, outlaw country uh-huh. kind of, kind of uh, started in the same mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. era, you know? Like, 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 they, they... I do. I think that there was this kind of like um, re- revolutionary sense of music in like the late sixties. Yeah. Obviously, like which corresponds with like so much of the cultural change. And the thing is, it's easy to see it as a truism, but it, it's more powerful to see it as just kind of like parallel. Yeah, I don't want to say ideologies, but just parallel like perceptions of the world. Yeah, because again, like Laurel Canyon, completely unrelated music truly not the same music coming up around the same time and talking about very similar things obviously from a much wider angle but right similar but the yeah. same kinds of doubts and questions um yeah about the structure the structures of the world well it's also i mean uh interesting how music can correspond to era yeah. in that like funk i mean obviously continued on and still continues today and there's plenty of good funk bands but like that moment in time Mm -hmm. like the late 60s into the mid 70s was like eaten up and turned into a completely different thing which is disco yeah Mm -hmm. right and and disco is the capitalist channeling of funk right like i mean i think it is right isn't i think it is i think there's there it 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 wasn't that and then it became that because it was just easier to sell i think like after it happened it became easier to mass produce over demographics and then kind of became it like we disneylanded it you know what i mean 
Yeah, and and I and that's not to, this is not to say this is not a, I, and I've actually per, on a personal level been going through a kind of a, like a resurgence in like trying to understand like I had written off eighties mm-hmm. late seventies mm-hmm. and eighties culture like altogether it's just like just fucking vapid. disgusting yeah. vapid and it is vapid but that doesn't make it bad and like disco music fucking rocks disco is great. Like, it's it's incredible and and so are like like just fucking gratuitous 80s movies you know like yeah huge fan of 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 just overwrought excessive violent Mm -hmm. glitzy 80s movies like that i'm all i'm all about it yeah and there's 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 an it's easy to say why the 60s and 70s or early 70s like the culture is like auteurish you know it's there's there's a certain level of like refining to it yeah and i think this comes with the circles i like um find myself in more but like people talk about the 70s filmmaking as like the kind of like new new age wild west blah 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 and that to me now seems like a clear reaction of of having seen the music do that a few years prior yeah it, it became about the art and what you're talking about and not about studio spec spectacles right and yeah, so you yeah. watch Alt- altman being i would say the first of that people mm-hmm. always say spielberg and you know of course like the godfather and stuff like that but i think altman was the first person to really like try to make that happen through his own art uh outside yeah. of music um so uh, that's funny because i used to think like yeah 70s movies man they were at the forefront of their shit and and i'm like actually 60s 70s music was the only reason that these movies right you know started being made the way they were yeah and i don't know what this says about me but like i i mean on a as a as a not a consumer or i guess as a consumer mm-hmm. but as like a um yeah i guess i guess consumer is the right word it's like i i i would listen to dis certain disco mm-hmm. music over funk mm-hmm. music like like recreationally right. just like i would watch a verhoven yeah. like i would watch robocop over taxi mm-hmm. driver mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah i feel you on that i feel you on that that's so funny but it's but it's also but it it I think that there you can't listen to disco without understanding funk. Yeah, right. I think. Like if you do, then you lose something of mm-hmm. it. And the same is with like eighties. Like you can't watch Rambo without watching, you yeah. know, uh, Bonnie and yeah. Clyde and understanding like the progression of the art That's... form. Because we've got we because it's not that long of a prescriptive art form to understand. No. Like you should understand the entire progression mm-hmm. of it all. Know why it come came to this, and and then why it came to Olivia Rodrigo. Like where did that come yeah. from? And why what, is she hitting with to... millennials and not just Gen Z? Like what's the difference between yeah. her and other people her age, where her album is really hitting with other generations? Yeah, and listen to Alanis Morissette, yeah. and then listen yeah. to Olivia Rodrigo. Understand that's why. great because yeah. I have two little threads to finish it off. Just I'm borderline like yes, fun please. factoids yeah. that go that are it's about the history of stuff. 
So kind of coming full circle on the Robert Altman thing. Um, yeah. I don't remember when we talked about it on the podcast. So if this is the first time being brought up, we talked a lot about Robert Altman. Um, if you watch his, like, let's say, let's say MASH and McCabe and Mrs. Miller. MASH is a mm-hmm. war movie, so to speak. It's about war. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you understand the war movies that came before it and what they were intended to do, like, like anything that came out right after World War II where like they actually had war heroes play themselves kind of era all the way through to Tora, 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 and, 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 and uh, Patton. And then yeah. you, when you understand that, you realize how subversive MASH was as a discussion of war and the dailies of it because we're used to like oh saving private ryan was is the movie where they talk where they show you the brutality of it and it's not about glory right mash did that just conversationally and and in comedy and mccabe and mrs miller is a western but when you put it you know next to what westerns were at the time which is like the Rio whatever, you know, these classic John Wayne movies, Rio Grande, Rio fucking all of those kinds of movies, then you realize how subversive McCabe and Mrs. Miller was because it's about Mrs. Miller is a brothel owner and it's about the women of in that moment and, and building something like that and not about, you know? Yeah. But, it's, but you yeah. do lose that if you don't understand where it was where it was coming from the exact moment in which these came um so i think that's great that we that you alluded to that before we even yeah um the other thread is more of a fun all all the history of all american music so funk oh a lot of rappers these days still heavily sample funk music and as a kid i remember thinking like this is lazy song producing and this probably came around the same time that I thought like Kanye was off his rocker kind of thing. Um, yeah. Just being a dumb child. Uh, but there's a reason that these rappers sample the funk tracks that they do. And it's not, it's to call back, it's a conversation. It's a call back to the earlier conversations yeah, that were absolutely. being had. And if we go back to what we were talking about in terms of the progression of funk and black music, before that, it was, uh, jazz was big. And jazz came out of the blues. And I really hope this is the first time I'm bringing this up on this podcast. It very much may not be. The blues is Muslim music. Hmm. So during the Atlantic slave trade, uh, the Spanish colonies in the Caribbean refused to enslave Muslims because southern Spain, you know, the in Europe, they have like a relationship with Islam, and they they they're the strong. Yeah, you know, yeah, Alhambra sure. is not a Spanish word. You know what I mean? <laughs> Alhambra. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's a Muslim. And so and so, yeah, the West Africans that were being enslaved were yeah, not Muslim. They're tri- they were... It was the tribe. What you would think tribal kind of the rhythmic yeah, music. Yeah, So that's why in the yeah, Caribbean yeah. you get classically more like rhythmic boom 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 music in general. The slave owners in the continental, what is now continental U.S., the mainland U.S., they didn't care about that because all, all blacks were not human, whatever. Mm-hmm. So they would get Muslim slaves 
whose melodic music stylings from, you know, if you think about kind of Muslim music, it's way more melodic. Yeah. That is what developed into the yeah. blues. That's why you get these, mm-hmm. like, slidey guitar twangs, which is a direct descendant of Muslim musical stylings. And yeah, I think anyone who's listened to music or, like, considers themselves music people know that essentially all American music came from the blues. So my favorite yeah. irony of all time is that all American music came from Muslim music. I Yeah, I, I don't even think that's irony. I don't no, think it's, it's irony. Not, I like guess. I think it's... It is in the post-9-11 world, well, yes. Uh, 100%. It is. Well, yeah, no, no, that is. It absolutely is. It. I, I, I guess yeah, my yeah. point, and I think it's kind of an mm-hmm. open-ended, like, kind of, like, mm-hmm. ending discussion, is that, like... The story of America is like still being written and quite Uh clearly the protagonist is black, potentially Muslim. And the, the conversation about American culture, like especially as it is unwritten, like there is absolutely no situation where 500 years after the end of american empire we're not looking back clearly about this through line of american culture being entirely dictated by the oppressed people that we disregard today and 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 i say we as like a pretty large we because i like to think that like we don't are more specifically i as like a male white hetero like heterosexual mm-hmm. cishet you know man like i don't dis like i mm-hmm. understand that but i mean the story of funk is a story of blues is a story of the slave trade is a story of america like this is all the fucking same story and it's a story that we're all living that we're just ancillary yep. parts of yeah a larger story and that i can assure you the three of us no main character of no (laughs) you know like i don't i don't know how else to put it but like that's it's not surprising it's surprising to me or ironic just in the sense that i think the story is unfinished and it's going to make sense i agree with you on this and i think you know i'm always like (laughs) it's like i'm always like a little self-congratulatory because i always saw myself in the narrative to be like a helpful supporting character and I and, and right. for a long time I thought like is that just me like playing into the white narrative of never being the main character and like I just have to I just have to accept that I'm gonna be a sidekick in things just to make living in LA as an actor more palatable to myself you know what I mean right. and now I've circled right, right. back to like no my role is to be like a very helpful supporting character in the American narrative who has experienced his own things, but understands what my place is within the narrative, you know? Yeah. And there's something really empowering to that. In, in, in the, in the movie, I'm not the one that survives at the end. I know that. And that's fine. (laughs) But, but I'm going to do something. Yeah. The moment before I die, 
I'm going to be the guy who does the thing good, and then people who know movies are going to be like, oh, he's going to fucking eat it next. I, I assure you. He helped <laughs> too much in that last scene. He's going to fucking die next. Just too And healthy. I've come back around to yeah. being very empowered by knowing that that's, like, how I can be of best use in the American narrative. So Hell yeah. Hey, you know? Boom. Cheers to the American... Cheers to the great American novel that hasn't yeah. been written and yet. And the beautiful you know? soundtrack. The beautiful Muslim soundtrack. And the beautiful fucking Muslim yep. soundtrack. It'll be written to it. Alright, on that note... Thank you, Thank guys. you, guys. That's it's a motherfucking a episode. One. That's a motherfucking episode. Go see Brassroots uh, District. And watch some, watch some Robert Altman movies. Watch some Verhoeven yeah. movies. We're about to. Yeah. Take it easy. Take it easy.